This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. So today's episode is going to kick off a series. Right now, I think it's going to be about three, but it could possibly go into four, depending on how the next couple of episodes go. And I wanted to do a podcast series just talking about the self. So I'm going to do one about self-care. I often get questions from clients uh, about self-care and what does that look like or what do I mean when I'm talking about self-care. And so I think before we talk about self-care, I want to talk about the self and how the self is developed or some of the barriers that we encounter that get in the way of a self-developing. And I wanted to maybe start this series off. Well, not maybe. I am starting this series off just talking about a recent experience that I had. This was back in the end of July. So a couple, well, a little over a month ago, just, uh, you know, five weeks or so ago. Now, I was already thinking of doing a podcast series on the self and talking a little bit more in depth about self-care. And then I had this experience the end of July and I thought, okay, I, I think this might be a good example of how things from our past tend to surface in the present, get in the way of us maybe accurately seeing what's happening or knowing what to do with it, what happens when shame surfaces, because shame can be one of those barriers to developing a sense of self or to recovering a sense of self. If we don't develop a sense of self, how do we do that later in life? You know, I want to talk about that in a podcast episode. And so I thought, well, maybe just kind of breaking it out, I can use a personal example because it happened to me and we can talk about, you know, an example of how it shows up when trauma resurfaces, when shame resurfaces So I want to go back to the end of July. So I think I've mentioned before my, so daughter number four, her good friend has been living with us for about two weeks. And I mean, not two weeks. I don't know what I'm talking about. She's been living with us for about two years. And she's been a great addition and a great person to have in the house. And she's blended in with the family and blended in with the, the girls. And they're, you know, everything's, gone well from that perspective. And then the beginning of July, daughter number three, her boyfriend was in a situation where uh, the place that he was living wasn't going to work out anymore. And kind of last minute he had to move out. So he moved in. Uh, We've had daughter number four's boyfriend kind of staying. I mean, he has a place at his mom's house, but he also, you know, comes over and stays over sometimes. And so we've had a full house. And then the end of July, so daughter number one had been living on her own and she had moved in a year previously with a really good friend of hers. And as is the case that sometimes happens, that relationship soured uh, about halfway, maybe a little more than halfway through their lease. It was a one-year lease. And that relationship started to sour and the friendship was really taking some major hits and their lease was up the end of July. And so she was going to move back with us 
her plan was move back for a month, maybe two months, and then find another place to live and move out. So the end of July, she's moving back as well. And all of this, I mean, it was all fine, right? So I'm just kind of setting the scene and giving a little backstory to what our house looked like in July. And so she was moving back. You know, we had packed up her stuff and we were moving it into our garage, which for, you know, since I had to move out of our first Salt Lake location the end of March, initially we thought, oh, the remodel, everything's going to take about a month. We'll move it into our garage. We have a three-car garage. We'll move it into the garage and it'll only be there for a short time period. Well, as I've mentioned before, that time period turned into quite a lengthy time period. I am happy to say that as of this past week and weekend, it is now out of our garage and into the new Salt Lake location. So I'm really excited about that. But we were going to move her stuff into the garage until we could really, you know, just get some things more settled. Our garage had a lot of stuff in it, if you can imagine, four offices and a lobby, all of that furniture being in the garage. It was pretty full. And like I said, it wasn't just for a month. So we were packing her up and moving her back. Now, July is probably the hottest month that we have here in Utah. Now, the past two summers, we have been exceeding the number of days that go to triple digits. And overall, the temperatures in July have been increasing. And so we know that this last July, so July of 2022, we were 1.6 degrees higher than the previous July. And that was also a record holder the previous July, but this July beat that. And so it was hot. I think the highest that we got was 107 in Utah during the month of July. I believe if I remember correctly, we had a total of 24 days where we were in the triple digits here in Utah. And and that's typical, like that's higher than typical for us. I think, I can't remember what it has been in the past. Like I want to say maybe, I don't know if it's more than double what we typically get, but it's a lot more days of hitting 100 than is typical for July in Utah. Now we also, you know, typically there's, I think one or two days in August average where we have triple digit heat for the month of August. But last week and into the weekend, we're, I'm recording this on Labor Day, Monday Labor Day, and we've been over 100 for many days. We're already going above the average two days where we have triple digits in the month of August. So it was hot. And on this particular day, we were packing her up and moving her daughter number one into our house. And it was really hot. Now, earlier in that week, I had come home and the temperature in our house was 89 degrees. And I was like, wow, that's really high. You know, we don't keep our thermostat at 89 or 88 degrees or 90 degrees. And so I was aware our AC wasn't keeping up. And so this had happened. I think I knew this like the day or two days before when I came home and it was at 89 degrees and then we're moving her in. I think actually we were moving her in like on a Thursday. And so 
it's just really hot. Our house is hot. It's hot outside and we're moving, right? We had a lot of people because we had a lot of people staying in our house. So we had a lot of people who were helping out with the move, but it's still, it's miserable outside. You come inside, it doesn't feel much better. And sleeping was just awful. We didn't really get good sleep, you know, usually around one o'clock, one thirty in the morning, our dogs would wake us up and they're just kind of like, what is happening? And they'd want to go outside. And, you know, I think one of the nights I took him outside, one or two of the nights I took him outside, my husband took him out. It was nice, you know, or nicer at one, one thirty in the morning. The dogs, you know, didn't just go to the bathroom, but we're kind of like, let's just stay out here for a little bit because it's so freaking hot inside. And so on this day, you know, like, let me back up. I'm typically fine to help. I mean, I don't love helping move, but I'm fine to help move. It's like, I feel like I grew up in a family where, you know, we knew how to work hard. We weren't afraid of hard work or doing what needed to be done. I've I've mentioned before, I pretty much grew up with a single mom. She was married. And so my dad was somewhat in the picture, but just not really home very much. And so if something needed to be done, it was, it fell to whoever of the six kids were home and were old enough and were able to help out and do things. So I grew up in a family where, you know, I wasn't afraid to, to dig in, to lift things, to, you know, just help move or do difficult things. And on this particular day, so I think we had been like three days with no AC and then we're moving her home and I think we moved her just before the end of July. So we weren't moving her right on the 31st of July. And initially I was, you know, I think I took two or three boxes out of the truck and came inside to do something or for something. And like, I was aware that like, I'm really not in a place to do this. Right. And I would describe it. I was feeling shame. Like, what's your problem? Go back out and help. Why are you in the house? Again, not that the house felt good in any way or was, I think the house actually was a little bit hotter than it was outside, although we didn't have, you know, the blazing sun inside that we did outside. And so I was just kind of going through this process, talking myself through that, but also just like, what is your problem? And I had some awareness, like if I go outside and start helping, I'll probably end up snapping and starting conflict, starting a fight, starting conflict. I don't want to do that. That's the last thing we need on a day when none of us are enjoying moving and it's hotter than blazes. And so the last thing I need to do is bring conflict into that. And I would like kind of sit with myself and be like, why would you bring conflict into this? Like, you're not mad at anybody. Like, who are you mad at? And I had gone into our bedroom and we have chairs in there. And I was just kind of sitting in that chair. And again, feeling like, go outside, go do your part. Like, nobody wants to do this. You don't have permission to just take it off and not go help. And Then there was another part of me that would just be like, if you do go out, you're probably going to make the whole thing worse. And I was aware of those two things, but I was really stumped at to like, what was actually happening? Like, why was I inside? Why was I in my bedroom? Why did I have these two 
competing, challenging voices, one telling me to go outside and do my job, the other telling me like, it's only going to get worse if you do that. I don't know which one's right. Like, do I not want to go outside and I'm telling myself it'll get worse just because I don't want to do it? Is it because I'm lazy? Is it because I don't like moving? Well, I don't like moving. We've moved a couple times in our life. I don't like moving. I don't really like or love helping other people move, but that's not stopped me in the past. And so, you know, I kind of was like, well, maybe it's just that it's hot and it's miserable and we're going to be hot tonight. And, you know, we couldn't get somebody out to check our AC for many days. I think I had come home from work on a Tuesday when the house was like 89 degrees. Now it's Thursday. I think they were coming the following Monday, which I was just like, this is miserable. Maybe I'm just miserable. Maybe I haven't slept very good the last couple of nights because it's been so hot. Like maybe that's it, right? My husband had said to me like, should we just get a hotel room? Uh, Maybe, yeah, I don't know. But I'm just in my room, not sure what's happening. I'm feeling a lot of guilt for not going out and helping. I recognize that I was also being very critical and very shaming of myself. And, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily, I was talking with a client a couple years ago. I don't think she was talking about herself, but I think she was talking about maybe a coworker or one of her direct reports, something like that. And she said something about being lazy. And maybe this was like the first time or it was the first time I recalled kind of stating this belief out loud where I said, I don't, I don't really believe in lazy. Like, I don't think people are lazy. And she was kind of taken aback and she was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you don't believe in lazy? What, like, what does that mean? And I just said, I just think that it's a critical negative term that we've applied to people Um, I don't know that it's an accurate description of what's happening. And I don't think it's helpful. Like if if you're calling people lazy, that certainly doesn't motivate anybody to do a better job or to kick things in gear. If it looks like somebody is lazy, I think there's underlying issues going on that maybe the person isn't aware of. Maybe they're aware of it, but have no idea how to do anything about it. Like, I I just think human beings are more complex than lazy implies. And, you know, we had had several sessions. I don't think they were consecutive, but there were a couple of sessions when she would circle back to that and be like, let's talk about this. Or I'm thinking this, like, I think I see this. And so we, you know, spent some weeks kind of just talking about that idea of somebody being lazy or that maybe something else is going on that results in what we would describe as lazy behavior when in fact it's not really lazy behavior. I just said, I I just think human beings at their core want to know what they're capable of and they want to rise to their potential. And when that doesn't happen, I think we need to look at why that doesn't happen. I don't think we can come to the conclusion that they're lazy or that this human being doesn't care about that and just wants to get away with as much as possible and not having to do a good job. So we were talking about that. But I was in this moment applying 
that term to mean. Like you're just being lazy. Nobody out there wants to be doing this. They're just as hot and just as miserable. They have gotten just as much of a lack of sleep as you have. And part of the reason we didn't go to a hotel, I guess, I don't know. I kind of don't love going to a hotel in the city that I live in. Like that feels like a waste of money to me when I could just, you know, sleep at my home. Granted, it was miserable at our house. But also we kept, you know, getting phone calls saying, oh, we'll be out tomorrow. And then tomorrow would come and they never made it out. And then, okay, we'll be there tomorrow. And tomorrow, you know, wasn't happening. So that was kind of the situation that we found ourselves in. At one point, no, I don't think my husband ever came into the bedroom. They were just moving. I feel like unloading moving trucks goes much quicker than loading them. Um, and so, you know, I would say maybe 20, 30 minutes and we had all of the trucks unloaded and in the garage or we had, you know, things in the room that she was going to be staying in and we were kind of done for the night. And at that point, you know, my husband came in and saw me kind of sitting there and I mean, he didn't say anything. I don't know that he was judging me or really even think, I think his mindset was probably just like, let's just get this done. Let's get it done as quick as possible because we're all miserable. And I just said to him, like, I'm really sorry. I wasn't able to come out and help you. And, you know, he was kind of like, okay. And just went and got in the shower. Like I didn't pick up that he was mad at me. I mean, that's a kind of a weird thing to say, like, hey, I'm sorry I couldn't come out. I'm just sitting here in a chair, you know, so he showered and came out of the bathroom and I was just kind of like, I don't know what's going on with me, but, you know, I I moved a couple of boxes and I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. I just felt like I'm going to get mad or start conflict or a fight with somebody. And I was like, probably you. But it could have been one of our kids as well. And he was like, well, I'm, I don't know that a fight would have helped anything. And I was like, no, I, I know. Like, so I just came in here and sat in here and I don't really know why. I don't really know why this is coming up. I don't know what's happening for me, why I couldn't come out and just help unload. You know, and, and I mean, again, he wasn't being critical. He wasn't mad at me and he was just like, okay. And so I kind of was thinking about it over the next couple of days and maybe a week or more. And again, I was at a loss as to what was happening, why this was happening. This really hadn't happened before. I really just was thinking, I think it's because of the air conditioning. And then one day I was driving home from work the next week. Somebody finally, tomorrow happened and they came actually on Friday instead of Monday. So we didn't have to go through the hot weekend. Somebody came out, was able, it was not, you know, a really in-depth fix, which it shouldn't be. Our air conditioner is like four years old. So he got it working, he got it fixed. And, you know, the temperature in the house started to decrease. And we haven't had a problem since then with the air conditioner. The next week, I think it was the next week, or it might have been two weeks after that incident, We have two hot water tanks and both of them went out. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, it's so hot. Now we have only cold water. Fortunately, that didn't take us as long to get somebody out and to get that fixed so that we could have hot water again. But we went from 
no AC, to no hot water. Hopefully now we're at a point where everything's either been replaced or it should be lasting longer because like I said, we only moved into this house and it was built like um, there was a house here before, but it was demolished and a new house was built. And we moved in in June of 2018, so not that long ago, four years ago. So I'm driving home from work and week before, I think it was actually the Sunday before our air conditioner went out, there's a Utah state holiday called Pioneer Day, right? I think most states have a day that they celebrate the the state's founding or something like that. And so our state is July 24th and the day that the Mormon pioneers got to the valley in, what was it? 1847 and then it was several more years before Utah was granted statehood but that was kind of the beginning of I mean again not people arriving in the territory of Utah I mean that's a little bit the way that it's taught in Utah history that you take in junior high I mean in like many states you now know there were people already here in the territory of Utah I think actually Utah was part of Uh, the Mexico territory. And anyway, then the pioneers came. Not part of this story. Pioneer Day had fallen on a Sunday. So in Utah, you know, usually if Pioneer Day falls on a Sunday or like the 4th of July, if it falls on a Sunday, we don't typically celebrate it on that Sunday for religious reasons, for, you know, certain beliefs that people in the LDS faith have about the Sabbath or Sunday. So it's typically either celebrated that Saturday or possibly that Monday. So in the state, it was generally celebrated on that Monday. But in my house, right, we were just, I mean, we were just kind of doing our own thing as a family and the people who were living in our house. And so, you know, for some people who are not LDS, they've kind of turned that phrase into instead of Pioneer Day, it's Pie and Beer Day. And so, you know, I had made a couple of pies. I'd made, I don't know, three pies, I think. And so I'd had the oven on and I was making, when I was, you know, cooking some of the crusts. And I had noticed that Sunday that when I was going to bed, that the air conditioner hadn't quite kept up with the increase in temperature. Now, at the time I just thought, well, it's really hot. It's over a hundred degrees. And I had an oven on for probably an hour or so. Not a big deal, right? When I woke up the next day on Monday, the air conditioner was maybe at 72, not quite as low as it sometimes gets overnight. And then it was the next night that I came home and the house was at 89 degrees. And so I had noticed that on that Sunday. And so hold that thought, like the fact that I had noticed that on Sunday that our air conditioner wasn't quite keeping up the way than it normally would if I had the oven on. So hold that thought. Now we're gonna go back maybe seven years ago, six, seven years ago, something like that. So we're living at a different house and I was going to work and you know I had a car that like you pushed and as long as the key was within so much distance, it had a push button start, right? And so I had pushed the car to start and went to work. And so I get home from work that night and I say to my husband, like, hey, when I push the button to start the car, it's like just a millisecond longer before the car actually starts. 
And he like kind of looks at me like, what are you saying? And he's like, you know how long it takes from the time you push the button to, for the engine to turn over and the car to start. And I'm like, well, no, I, I don't typically, I don't know that. I just know, and I actually don't really know what a millisecond is. I just know it's slightly longer than what it normally is. Like I just, it just stood out because I know it's a little bit longer. Like I couldn't tell you except for today, right? I couldn't tell you how long that process takes. I mean, we're talking very, very short period of time starting a button, the engine turns over. I don't know how long that takes, but I could tell both times I started it to leave for work and to come home. I know that it took just just super, super small amount of time, but just a little bit longer than what's normal. And he asked me, but your car starts. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, so what do you, what do you want me to do about that? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. I just thought you should know that it's just starting just a little bit later. And maybe like, maybe I'm going to have my battery die soon. And he was like, okay. And I mean, again, he was kind of like, it's weird, right? It's weird to know those types of things. And so sure enough, later that week, I think it was, I got stranded with a dead battery. I called him and I was like, hey, guess what? I have a dead battery and I can't start my car now. And so, you know, he came over and I don't remember, jumped me maybe. And we went and bought a battery and got it installed. And, you know, he was just kind of like, wow, you knew it. And I was like, I knew it. I, I, you know, I knew it. And that was kind of the end of that story. Okay, so leave that story and we're back to this past July and I'm, you know, driving home from work and just kind of thinking through like, what was that? Like why? That was not normal for me to not help to just sit in my room for, you know, 20, 25 minutes while everybody else does something. That's just not normal for me. And so I'm thinking about how Sunday I noticed that the air conditioner wasn't quite keeping up. And then I remembered like, oh, right. Monday morning, I woke up and said to my husband, like, I was having dreams all night that our air conditioner wasn't working. Like I even got up once or twice during the night and checked the thermostat and saw that it had gotten, you know, it was heading downward, not upward. But I just didn't sleep very well because I had these dreams that our air conditioner died. So then Tuesday night, we come home and the house is 89 degrees. And, you know, my husband kind of jokingly says, would you stop dreaming about like our air conditioner stop working? Because now we don't have a working air conditioner. And so I remembered that like, oh yeah, I had dreams about that. And then I recalled this story with my car and thinking, oh, my car is taking a little bit longer to turn over. The engine's taking longer to turn over. And again, I don't think that these are, you know, I don't think I'm tapped into any energy or anything. Like I was thinking about this on my drive home and I was like, I don't think that's a gift necessarily or something like that. It's not like, what's the word I'm thinking? It's not like psychic or, you know, something like that. But then I started thinking and I thought, oh, I know. Okay, this is making sense to me. Like I have 
this trauma, I call it a trauma response, where I can, you know, kind of walk in a room and read the energy, kind of read what's happening. I can easily pick up on minor discrepancies, like my car taking just a fraction of time longer from when I push the button to when the engine turns over. Or just that awareness that like, oh, our air conditioner is not keeping up with the heat and having the oven on. I can notice those things. I can pick up, and again, I would say this is my childhood trauma, and as well as the role I played in my family. So I would say I was maybe two things. I was a caretaker of my younger siblings and somewhat of a nurturer to my younger siblings. But it also put me in the place of being somewhat of a protector for them. You know, like if I could see what was going on or if I could see something, you know, that potentially could get mom angry or dad angry or start a fight between the two of them, I could then intervene and fix that before it ever became a problem or went to a place of high conflict. And so I was like, oh, right, it's that ability I have. And and the other thing I think that's tricky about that is I think I had to know things and then at the same time not know those things in order to perform the role that I played in my family. So I could pick up on things and even move to fix it, to intervene, to do whatever so that it wouldn't lead to conflict, but also not really having full awareness that I was doing that or what I was doing or what I was picking up on. And I actually had a phone call with my older sister a couple weeks ago and we talked about, you know, her and I probably have some of the most shared memories just because we're two years apart. Um, She's the oldest and then I'm the second oldest. And so I think in many ways we have the most shared experiences and the most shared memories. And, and we were talking about this on the phone a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I was kind of explaining to her this, like knowing things and then not knowing things at the same time. And just what a mess that makes of your mind sometimes, or what, like how that can really be a mind game in a way that, you know, can just wreak some havoc. And, you know, she had said like, I haven't thought about it that way. But I'm not saying I I disagree. She's like, actually, I think I absolutely agree. I've just never thought about that. And I'm going to have to think about that. And so this conversation I had with my sister was after this incident with the air conditioner. And so I was thinking about just how, you know, the role that I played in my family and knowing things and not knowing things at the same time. But then often if I didn't get it right, if I didn't, intervene, if I didn't do what I needed to so that there wasn't conflict, that often I would be critical of myself or I could just shame myself. Like you should have this and you should have that. And why didn't you this? And you should have known this. And I would in essence, take responsibility for things going bad. And for this fight erupting, I would take responsibility and think you need to do better. You need to be doing these things or this is what happens, right? And it's your job to keep these things from happening. 
And so I started thinking to myself, like, I think that's what happened similarly, but different. Like I noticed, like I could tell throughout the day that the AC was not keeping up, but it wasn't, I mean, I was conscious of it, but not, it wasn't like in the forefront of my mind conscious, like, hey, we're going to have a problem, right? I was conscious, but not fully aware until we had, even the next day when I woke up and had dreams that night of our AC going out, even then it didn't say to me like, oh, I think our air conditioner is going to go out or we're going to have a problem with the air conditioner. It wasn't until I came home and the house was at 89 degrees that I was, well, not even then, like I just knew our AC wasn't working. But this whole process of me having some awareness in the background, I wasn't aware of until like a week after our air conditioner was fixed and I was still trying to figure out like, what was that? And why was I sitting in my room instead of helping out? And so I started to put some pieces together. Now, I'm also one as a therapist who says, there's usually a reason for most of our behavior. We may not always be able to understand that reason or put pieces together to understand it. There may be things that, I don't know, but I'm sure that's from my past. And then there may be other times where we are able to kind of trace the breadcrumbs back and to be able to understand and explain and have that increased awareness. And I feel like this was one of those times. And now again, I'm no different than anybody else. It could have just as easily not happened for me as in this instance. I I do think I made pretty good sense of that. And, you know, so I got home from work and I said to my husband, like, I, I think I am understanding what happened and why I couldn't come and help when our oldest moved back home. And I mean, he was kind of like, you're still thinking about that? Like he had just moved on, right? But for me, it was not characteristic for me to be like that. And so I did want to know why. I did want to see if I could understand what was happening in that moment. So I'm explaining it to him. And I said, like, remember that time that I knew my battery in my car was going to die? And he was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I said, well, I had that awareness on Sunday. I never said anything about it, but I remember several times checking the thermostat and just having an awareness that it wasn't keeping up the way it normally does. Now, a lot of times in the summer, I don't turn the oven on and we don't really bake or cook in the oven, but sometimes I do. Occasionally I do. So I knew what to expect maybe with the AC and I was aware that it wasn't keeping up the way that it normally did. And I said, and then remember I had those dreams. I woke up the next day telling you I had dreamt throughout the night that our AC had stopped working. And he was like, oh, right. Yeah, you had, you did say that, right? And I said, I, I think, like I knew for me, sitting in my bedroom, like I said, I was being very critical. I was shaming myself. I was having an internal struggle kind of pulling me back and forth one way, like just stop it, knock this off, go out and do what needs to be done. Which is, I feel like, similar to, you know, how I had to live in my family of origin growing up. Like, knock it off, stop feeling about it, just do what needs to be done. And I did. For the most part, I did. I functioned, I 
got homework done. I got okay grades. I, I did what I could to not deal with what was actually happening or the feelings that I had about it. So I could just kind of knock it off and do what needs to be done. So there was that part of me. And then there was that other part that was like, wait a minute. If this continues, if you just knock it off and go outside, you're probably going to find reasons to be mad at your husband. And then it's going to start a fight. And like, you're not mad at him. So why go out and then have a fight and be mad at him? Like he, he hasn't done anything. This isn't his fault. And I was telling my husband, I said, I, I think, and maybe we all do, right? I don't know. I, I think I have a tolerance for how long I can shame myself and I can be critical and beat myself up before I have to start finding somebody else to share that blame with. And so, you know, initially it was on me and I was being very critical and shaming of myself, but I also had the awareness that that could go external. It could go to my spouse. Like he should not put us in the situation where our air conditioner broke. He should have known better instead of just owning that for myself. Like I should know better. And that was one of the things I think that was playing out in some of the shame I was doing. Like you should have known better. You should have done better. You should have kept this from happening, right? And I was telling my husband that and he was like, I mean, you can't really schedule an air conditioner repair when your air conditioner is still working. Like, you know that, right? He's like, if you would have called them and say, hey, I think my air conditioner is going to have problems. And they said, is it having problems now? And you were like, no, not now, but I think it's going to. They probably aren't going to schedule an appointment with you. They'd be like, call us back when you have a problem. And I'm like, right, no, I get that. That totally logically makes sense. But I wasn't in logic, right? I wasn't being logical in that moment. I was, you know, in a trauma response. I was shaming myself. I was beating myself up. I was arguing these two parts of myself. I was arguing with them. And what I did is I just sat where I was sitting, right? It's not even like I was on my phone playing a game or scrolling through social media or something. I wasn't doing any of that. Like, I mean, I did have the dogs in the room with me so that they wouldn't run outside and, you know, cause issues when people were trying to move stuff into the garage or bring some of it into the house. They weren't having to deal with either the dogs getting out or just the dogs underfoot. So I did have the dogs with me, but it's not like I was playing on my phone or listening to a podcast or like I said, scrolling through social media. I was just sitting there like a little stumped as to what had happened, what was happening. I was aware of this internal battle, this internal pull, just go out and help. Just sit here because if you go out, it's going to get worse or you're going to start a fight and you don't want that. Anyway, so, you know, I was telling my husband that he's, you know, supportive and was like, oh yeah, that actually that makes sense. And that's a really tough place for you to be in when as a kid, you're taking responsibility for whether or not fighting happened in the family between mom and one of the kids or dad and one of the kids or mom and dad, like that's a lot to take ownership of as a kid. And I was like, yeah, it was. And I don't know that I was fully aware that I 
felt responsibility for that or that I felt it was my job to try to dissipate the conflict or to prevent the conflict. I don't know that I was fully aware of that until this. Again, because I could just do things and have awareness while also at the same time not really having awareness. I think that protected me as a kid. You know, it allowed me to function in the role that I played in my family and to do an okay job with it. I mean, again, I'm a kid or a teenager, so I didn't do a great job at it. But plus, I cannot control whether my parents fight with each other or with one of the kids. Like, that's just not something I have control over or should be believing that I should have control over. But it was helpful for me to understand that, yeah, that's an impossible position that I was put in or that I put myself in or whatever that was. And, you know, had to spend some time like talking to that younger self and just letting her know like, hey, you did a good job. And there were a lot of times you helped dissipate the conflict or at least protected your siblings from some of the conflict. And you shouldn't have had to do that. And you don't have to do that anymore. And I'm sorry that that was the situation you found yourself in. I'm sorry that that is the home you grew up in. And I'm sorry that you were afraid. And because of that fear, you tried to control things that maybe weren't yours to control, but also seemed like maybe somebody should be trying to do something. And so kind of just spent some time with that younger self, with that younger part, now that I had enough of the pieces and could understand what it was that was happening, why I was being critical, why I was kind of in this tug of war with myself, and just to have some compassion and some empathy and to be able to connect with that younger part of myself and just to let her know like, hey, life is actually pretty good right now. And if things do break, it usually doesn't have to lead to conflict. Or if things break, it's not going to stay broken forever. That was another part that I felt like was coming up because there were times when, you know, my parents just didn't have money to fix things. Or like, I remember our oven went out. Maybe I was around, I was young. Like, I want to say like six or seven, our oven went out. And it wasn't until I was 12 and we had like this damage done to our kitchen through just like a really bad snow, not snowstorm. I mean, it was in January, but it was a really bad windstorm. And we had a carport on our garage and the carport basically came unattached to the house. It fell on the two cars that were parked underneath, but it took the side of the house that it was attached to. It took that. So our kitchen wall, right, was part of that side of the house and then down into the basement, all of that collapsed onto the cars. And so, you know, we had to make insurance claims and... Basically, we got a new kitchen, including a new oven. And so that's how our oven got fixed. But, you know, it was years that we we had an oven in the kitchen. It just didn't work. And like the stove top worked, but the oven did not work. And then, you know, I think most of my teen years, our dishwasher didn't work. And so, you know, we had the dishwasher. It just didn't work. And so we had to wash dishes by hand and you know, I, I think it was maybe after my parents divorced or I don't remember. Anyway, they got a new dishwasher and they were able to fix the dishwasher or something like that. And 
had a working dishwasher, but that just wasn't uncommon either. Like if something broke, the likelihood was it was just not going to work for a really long time. And so I think just some of that fear was also coming up, which was somewhat irrational because, I mean, we were making phone calls to get somebody out to fix the AC and had the money to pay for somebody to come out to fix the AC. So it wasn't like that was like an accurate concern, but I think that was there in the background just because that was also part of growing up. If something broke, it may not get fixed or it may not get fixed for a really long time and we would just have to live without it. And so again, like I said, I I wanted to share this experience with you. It's a little vulnerable for me to, I mean, I've, I've shared parts of my life before and this one, it's just maybe because it's a little bit fresher, it was a little newer, you know, kind of this experience only happened like a little over a month ago. And so, you know, processing it was less than a month ago and figuring it out. But I wanted to be able to talk about how our trauma that happens in childhood doesn't necessarily just stop because we get older. It doesn't just go away because we've aged out of that or we have different living circumstances, different relationships now. And so it's something to be aware of. Again, like I said, sometimes we can't, we don't have the breadcrumbs to follow it back the way that I did in this instance. I'm sure there are things that I don't have breadcrumbs about. I'm just not thinking about it at this moment. Um, but I know that there have been situations where I'm just like, I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't know enough information, but I know this. And that may be your situation. And so just understanding when that shame comes on board, when the critical voice, that critical observer comes on board, understanding that may like we may need to hit pause, take a deep breath, sit in your room for 25 minutes and not help people move or unload the trucks and just giving yourself some time and some space as well as some empathy and compassion to be able to understand like something's come up and something got triggered. I don't know exactly what that was, but I don't typically live in a place of shaming and critical observer about myself anymore. And so if that comes on board, that may be an indicator that something got triggered, something bigger than just what's happening in the moment is going on. And I think we can develop that self-awareness as part of our healing journey and as part of further understanding ourselves, the story that we live in and the story that can get triggered. So again, I I think it's going to be a good series here talking about the self, talking about self-care, talking about what happens when the self doesn't develop. So I look forward to this series on the podcast. Thank you for listening. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. 
Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.